say uh, make sure that you have the skills to make things right yeah. this is a very concrete skill this is a very direct skills it's not going to have a replacement uh, anytime soon right uh, it could be designed it, could, it doesn't have to be programming but ability to make things uh, is going to be crucial you're listening to the beyond signal podcast a podcast for the inspired learners, educators, and entrepreneurs shaping the future of education. So thrilled to be joined by you today, Nilesh. Uh, you've quite a background, having worked in everything from 3D printing to aerial vehicles and uh, then ed tech as well, which is what I'm really excited to talk to you um, about today. Do you mind trying to maybe condense all of that into a, a quick two-minute uh, bio, if you can? It's quite a task given the breath sure, experience. Sure, yeah, so I've been uh, programming since 2002 and uh, since 2008, I've been mostly working with the uh, consumer uh, startups. So very, very product-oriented startups, right? So they've been all over the place, health tech, fintech. I mean, career has been very wide, uh, variety of uh, projects. Uh, have been done, have done a lot of uh, blockchain, blockchain work, machine learning work, uh, electronics hardware as well. So I'm, uh, I'm an aerospace engineer by education mm. and uh, so that's my background. It's quite a background. And I don't know if you've heard about Scott Adams, but he often talks about the concept of skill stacking. So you can either be, say, top 1% in one thing or top 25% in a variety of things. And that makes you world-class in the sense that you're, you don't want to be the best at what you do. You want to be the only person who does what you do. And I'd say that's very true for you. You have a very unique mix, a personal monopoly of sorts. So how have you found that kind of eclectic mix of things has allowed you to see unique patterns across industries or kind of unlocked opportunities yeah, yeah. for you? Yeah, so I actually have an MBA in marketing. Uh, mm. uh, uh, and uh, I, since then, I've drifted back into engineering. Yeah. And which is, I mean, it was a conscious choice. It was a deliberate choice. Uh, one of the trends that I noticed was uh, individual productivity was just shooting up very, very fast. Yeah. Uh, uh, what used to take 50 people team has now become possible to, you know, three or four people team. You have AWS and you know, all this DevOps automation and a number of uh, high productivity, high, high efficiency languages have come up. But it's not just true for programming, right? It is true for uh, across the stack. And I could see this trend while I was in B school. So I sort of wanted to future-proof myself. And I said, hey, it would be good to, you know, be in touch with the core, core skills rather than purely managerial skills. And that's how I, so I was actually doing programming at B school, business school. And yeah, so I ended up doing a startup that way. So the trend, this is, this is one of the trends that I've seen, right? Uh, because individual productivity is just shooting up, there will be very less uh, space for coordinating or, you know, information passing sort of roles, right? Okay, uh, yeah. What used to be a manager now, you know, gets replaced by a Trello board, right? Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah project management and all these tools. And that, that we can see in the, how the team size have shrunk. And uh, so that's the reason why I wanted to get closer to uh, technical skills. I, I picked up skills in programming. I picked up skills in machine learning. Uh, I've been applying since then. Uh, my role uh, currently is a team lead kind of role, but I am still a hands-on you know, maker. So yeah. I think that's reasonably valuable uh, uh, set to have. Yeah, yeah, and Naval Ravikant says, learn to sell, learn to build, and obviously yeah, yeah. You've, you've learned yeah. both. Um, yeah. So with that skill set, you could really work on anything, essentially, but um, one thing you've decided to work on is learn awesome, which is, uh, yeah. in fact, awesome. 
um, befitting the name, which you describe as humanity's universal learning map. And um, why do you think such a map is needed? And do you mind taking me into maybe a little bit of the origin story about how you went about building that? Sure. Yeah. So the reason we call it learning map is it helps you navigate a giant unknown territory, right? Mm. Um, and this metaphor actually comes from you know uh, other people. Uh, so I started this last year in April. I built it as a repository of links in GitHub as literally a markdown file, right? Uh, and you might have seen awesome lifts on you know various topics. So you might have seen awesome, awesome React JS, awesome JavaScript, right? And I wanted to sort of combine all of that, uh, and then it became very popular. Uh, we got 600 stars on GitHub. Uh, a lot of people showed up. You know they were started contributing, uh, but very soon they wanted more, right? A list yeah. is fairly passive. It cannot it cannot be personalized. It it is not interactive. You can't enrich it further without manual effort. So people were asking for an app. So I turned this into a web application. Uh, so essentially we collect links to resources and we categorize them with very rich metadata. So very simple metadata would be topics and formats. So I can say, hey, this is a video about abstract algebra or this is an interactive explorable about history of United States, right? Um, so these are the two very, very uh, key attributes. But other than that, we add duration. So how long is this video? Uh, what are the prerequisites that it assumes, right? Was it entertaining? Was it challenging? Was it visual? Was it interactive, right? So we collect this as a user-generated content and that actually helps you, you know, identify the model that works for you right now. And so I launched this as an app. It got featured by Product Hunt, a number of users discovered. And, you know, since then, it, it, the community has been, you know, uh, slowly growing. Um, and then as I started understanding this more, I came across the fact that, you know, uh, other people have expressed the same idea earlier. This is not a new idea at all, right? Uh, Danny Hillis, uh, who was the creator of uh, MetaWeb, I believe, uh, which ended up becoming Google Knowledge Graph, he gave a talk at, in 2012 about creating a learning map. And the problem statement was, there are a number of learning resources out there. There are different types of students. How do we find the right match? Yes. And, then, and his idea comes from the science fiction book, uh, uh, the diamond age, uh, the illustrated primer uh, yeah. thing. So it's a very personalizing. It knows, it understands you so well that it can present the right material to you at the right time. And now that's a long journey to take, right? That's a very ambitious goal. And uh, and I've taken certain product calls, which I can uh, like happily uh, discuss with you. For for example, I took a deliberate call to take it a stepwise journey. Yeah. Uh, you should not directly jump into recommendations unless you have a good understanding of the user. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So you should probably start with uh, advanced tools that they can use for themselves. So if you go to learn or something, you know, go to advanced search, you can really say, ki, hey, show me videos about the intersection of AI and ethics, right? Mm. Which are recommended by uh, investors. So you can really make searches like this. And that's where we are starting. And around this core utility, there's a social networking aspect. So just like Goodreads has a community of readers, mm -hmm. learn or some plans to be a community of learners, right? And that is a very, very uh, deliberate differentiation because I realized that uh, people in this age are not learning only from reading, only from yeah. books. They are watching videos, they are watching live streams, they are joining newsletters, and you know there are Twitter threads which will teach you more than uh, uh, an entire course. Uh, there are apps that you can play and interact with. There are interactive explorables, and there are of course courses, uh, MOOCs, and all. So I deliberately took a call to uh, go broader than simply books 
and change my positioning from reading to learning and that is very very crucial so here i am say hey if i if you want to learn machine learning you have certain background you have certain constraints so for example your constraint might be that hey i only have time to listen to podcasts because i listen to them on my way to uh, office yeah right uh, so that that format constraint matters to you and uh, and finally then you have certain goals i am learning this because i have a it's needed for my job or i am looking for a new job right or i am curious about something right and eventually the system this platform will be able to produce an optimal learning path for you so again this is not a, a i mean i i came across one blog post by dani grant of uh, union square ventures yeah awesome she's blog written, post yeah, yeah she she has an article called uh, we need syllabus 2.0 exactly yeah right? so and one of the claims that i have been making is there are a number of edtech platform right there is khan academy there is uh, coursera and there are uh, a number of platform udemy and all that and nearly every one of them has gotten into content creation and there's a strong reason for that uh, if you create a content of your own and then the user consumes that content within your app and within your platform you get the data points about the assessment right how far is the user progressing at what point are they dropping off which aspects are more challenging right uh, mm. how are they doing how are they how, how effectively are they learning but if you ask around the actual learners right it has turned on its head uh, anybody who is uh, creating their own content becomes a bad content curator because they will not they will not link out to external resources which might be better quality mm-hmm. and if nearly everyone has discovered this right nobody is going to coursera for in a learning javascript they are asking on hacker news they are they are asking on discord channels they are asking in slack groups right ki hey you know me uh, tell me some good books about you know tailwind uh, yeah. right or tell me some good good, good books about uh, good courses about artificial intelligence and that's because this platforms are not learner centric the learner doesn't care that i want to learn from coursera's videos right yeah if three if three blue one brown really has a best treatment of neural networks why not show that to me right exactly so we need a platform which focuses purely on content curation which means it will not create its own content and it will only collect links but it will tag them with the uh, rich metadata and eventually you, once you have enough understanding of the user then that's when you can uh, start doing automated recommendations we are not there yet right right now yeah. we are we are at the first stage where we have the links we have the metadata and we are giving the tools to users where they can search for themselves Yeah, I think it's really amazing what you're doing because we've had this outpouring of educational materials, but it's really hard to sift through. Like uh, in school, you have a syllabus, you know what steps to take, you know how yeah. long it might take, and your teacher might be telling you what to think about at each stage. But online, it's, it's very difficult, and there's no set path. So the curation piece is really important. Another important piece that's often missing in online education is community and um that's something you're also trying to solve at learn awesome why is community important um in online learning and how have you gone about solving that like so it's actually a three stage plan that i have right yeah. first provide very very real very very direct utility to early users mm. then build a network around it so that you know they can as users they can enrich each other so just like twitter has this uh, unidirectional relationship right i can follow you but you don't have to follow me back yeah and and that's a very very powerful um, um, format because it creates an interest graph it creates a trust graph i can trust you you don't even have to know me mm-hmm. and if you allow that if you bring that model here 
I can sort of avoid the manual curation, manual recommendation kind of a problem. Uh, you can follow certain users that you admire and that you trust, and your feed, your recommendations will be purely driven by that data set, right? So when you log in, when you sign up on Learn Awesome and then go to your dashboard, the activity that you see is coming only from your network, and that lets you take care of you know uh, even if let's say certain promotional links are being uploaded by some uh, anonymous uh, uh, strangers. They will never show up on your feed, right? This is why the community is important because the trust signal is uh, very very important. Uh, otherwise, either you will end up doing a lot of manual curation, or your system will be run over by spammers and you know promotional uh, campaigns and abusers as well. So that that sort of graph, uh, that that sort of community is very important. Yeah, yeah. No. It solves the it solves the it solves the recommendation quality problem for me. Agreed, agreed. We're uh, at probably the nascent stages of Learn Awesome right now, but if we took it forward 10 years or even 20 years, what's the, the ultimate vision for the future? What does the world look like if Learn Awesome is successful? Google does a terrible job of uh, answering uh, you know, questions like, how do I learn this? Yeah. Uh, they, they will just point you to some ACO-driven pages and you know, buy my course and you know, uh, buy my book and that kind of material. Mm. So I would like to, you know, I, I, I can imagine Learn Awesome being the number one search engine for people who are learning something. Yeah. Right? All the contents are public. You don't have to sign up to discover the content and uh, just, you know, it's, it's a search engine after all, right? We, we tell you a resource, you click, click that link, you go and consume that somewhere else, right? But at the same time, uh, because there's a social network around it, you can imagine it becoming something like Goodreads. Uh, as a community of learners, right? Lifelong yeah. learners, if you call them. And with a uh, graph like this. So that is a very, very achievable uh, goal. Uh, I think uh, we can reach something like top 100 uh, websites or apps in the world very easily. Uh, that means, you know, some something like 15 million MAU. It's not a lot, right? Yeah. Uh, when, your, when your content is public and it has a mass appeal, I think, you know, uh, even 1 million MAU would take you to top 1500. So yeah. that seems very achievable to me. Uh, the direction that would be really interesting for me is okay. Now you have this tool which you know sort of helps me in a self learning, but a number of people are going to need a little bit of structure. They are going to need uh, a syllabus, uh, a series of projects to accomplish, a peer group to you know just motivate each other and uh, you know just keep it engaged, and a mentor in case I get I'm uh, stuck somewhere and I'm getting frustrated. Yeah. Right. And these things are important. This is the reason why colleges are you know uh, have been valuable. Right? Yes. They, pro they provide you a peer group which is as motivated as you are. They they have a space where mentors are available, which you can bother and you can ask questions. And and then there are and now they they're not done a good job of you know projects. Uh, so when you do a CS degree in you know MIT, uh, it's not like you are producing a bunch of GitHub uh, projects that you can show off. Hey, I really have the actual coding skills and I can build complex projects. Right. So. I would like to see that, and that's one of the experiments that I'm trying right now. So in Learn Awesome, you can you 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 might see that we are running project-based learning programs, right? Yeah. And we have deliberately kept them as a very lightweight for the mentors. So uh, what these mentors will do is they'll prepare a sequence for you to accomplish, and there's a Slack group where peers will join in, and the mentors are stay they they are around in case you need help. But more or less, it is you know something that you are accomplishing, and uh, like step by step, you are uh, finishing projects, and these are projects that you can show off. So, for example, there's a program running on machine learning for managers. Now, this is this is the reason why personalization is useful, right? I could not 
do a good job if I just said there is a machine learning course. Because I know that managers will like to avoid unnecessary, let's say, sidetracks. So if I can introduce them to all the core concepts of machine learning without getting into programming, they they are very very happy with that, right? Yeah. So because I, I I understand that topic very well, so I created that syllabus, and we took a path saying that hey, let's try a regression model in Excel, and then watch this videos about the basic uh, ML models. Then let's download RapidMiner Studio, which has a completely visual environment for building and training and testing machine learning models. With zero programming at all, right? If you point them to a machine learning program that requires them to download Python and you know start programming, you are losing them, right? Yeah. They have like yeah. a they are like they are like a week to spend on this topic. So that's that's where the personalization, the understanding of the user comes into picture. But we put we put together this sequence that hey, you complete this project, you solve this ML problem, let's say character recognition, and then you go to classification problem, looking at a picture and telling. Is it a shoe or is it a dress or you know what is it, right? And these managers, these are MBAs who have not done engineering, right? Yeah. They are able to complete because we have chosen the right uh, resources for them. And I think it's super effective. Uh, I, I've seen uh, some people uh, mention it, uh, like it's, it comes from some code quotation by Abraham Lincoln, right? That if if I had eight hours to chop down a tree, I, I'll take four hours to just sharpen my axe, right? Yeah. So that same yeah. thing, same thing applies here. Uh, you should take some time to find a material that works for you. Uh, don't just go in the first sequence that some random uh, person who doesn't understand you has put together, right? Mm. It's it's going to be very very uh, suboptimal. And I I had my own experience with this. I was learning closure last year. Uh, I've never done closure. Uh, never done any list at all. I come from Ruby and I had some experience with Java. So I spent some time just finding out some material. I came across this website called Learn a Language in Five Minutes. Right? Uh, learn a language in minutes. And what they do is they give a very very dense introduction to a language, assuming that you already know another language. Yeah. So like within three hours, I was fifty percent productive in closure, which is a complete foreign wow. language. Yeah. So and I think more and more people will discover this, where they will uh, start appreciating this, and that's where I will I hope that learn awesome will be useful. Yeah. And so just on the project piece, you tweeted recently that there's no better credential than high quality work that uh, the world can see and evaluate. And I 100% agree, and certainly in things that are in demand, constantly changing, and easily de demonstrable, yeah. like programming, you know, someone's GitHub is probably more indicative yeah. of their skill yeah. than so their dribble, dribble for designers. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, how long do you think before that kind of trend we're seeing in those professions spreads? How, how long before the median employer doesn't care about a college degree and cares more about the projects that you've completed. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's a very interesting dynamic uh, because every measure that we use, every proxy measure that we use for quality or you know capacity or skills ends up being gamed. Right? Yeah. So for a while people used to look for you know active GitHub profiles and now candidates have figured that out. So they just yeah. uh, put uh, you know dummy activity and there are scripts that will populate your GitHub profile to I think look at very very uh, credible. It's good, so it's, arts, it's good arts law. Any metric yeah. that yeah. becomes a target ceases to become a good metric. Yeah. So it's, it's, an, it's, an, it's an arms race, right? If mm -hmm. there's a, a quality list that is being maintained, people have an incentive to show up on that list without doing the work that is needed to yeah. uh, really be worthy of that, right? It applies to colleges, like top 10 colleges, right? There are colleges who will uh, do the superficial quality improvement, 
just to appear in that list without doing the real uh, experience. Yeah. So it's going to be an arms race and it could go anywhere. My point was coming from the angle that people are uh, getting better at measuring, right? Uh, what used to be, okay, you are a Stanford grad, that used to be a proxy. And now people have seen, okay, let's look at your GitHub profile. Like, can you actually code? Mm. Because, you know, people figured out, hey, uh, people coming with CS grads, you know, degrees, they're not able to write a uh, you know, FizzBuzz kind of test that came along. Right? So I've had for a long time. Uh, I like to think, yes, we have the capacity to understand and, you know, assess a candidate in, let's say, reasonably short amount of time. So four hours, five hours, you know, we can do a reasonably good assessment. And I think more people will get better at that. And that's when the, the proxy metrics will take a backseat and the actual work will start actually showing up, right? So proxy metrics would be, I have done, I've done a degree. I've gone through the bootcamp, right? I've uh, completed a certification. And real certification would be, hey, are you able to solve problems? Huh? Are yeah. you able to uh, build things with it? Are you able to sell, let's say? So if you're a salesman and you don't have a track record of, you know, uh, that's saying I created something and I, I was able to sell it, that will show up as work. Right. Yeah. So as we bet, as we get better at measuring the direct quality, I think this project-based approach will uh, be more efficient. It could go anywhere. It could it could take uh, time. I, I really don't know what to say about that. Uh, but I I see for sure that in my industry, the software uh, technology industry, right, at least top ten percent companies are really good at it. Right. Yeah. So yeah. so when does the rest of the forty percent reach there? Uh, we'll have to see. Yeah, and do you think in time the requirement for a college degree will be dropped entirely from job descriptions? I know some companies are already dropping it. So it, it depends on the role. Programming happens to be something that you can do on a laptop and mm. and that really is that tailor-made for, you know, uh, yeah. no college no college kind of environment. But if you're uh, going to be a doctor or a nuclear physicist, I mean, the, the requirement for expensive laboratories and equipments. Yeah essentially means that you are in a college-like environment, right? Uh, and it might change shape. It might change the format a little bit, but it is, it will soon, it will, some sort of decoupling is happening for sure. Right? So the coupling of research with teaching and lecturing with the learning, you know, they are now being decoupled. So it's entirely possible that colleges will turn into something like, you know, you watch the lecture by these famous Nobel winners and, you know, best lecturers, uh, with the highest quality, production quality videos, right? And then you come back to the class and we'll come, uh, do these exercises and we'll, you know, we'll finish these assignments and we'll just do this quality. I think that approach, which is called a flipped classroom, right? Uh, you watch the best content at home and yet you come to a place which is more or less a college yeah. uh, to, to um, find a peer group and actually apply that knowledge, right? So yeah. I, think, I think content broadcast like lectures will definitely get decoupled across all, all disciplines. However, for certain subjects which require equipment and uh, access to facilities, we'll still see colleges remain for longer. Yeah, actually, a, a friend of mine who was on the podcast for the first episode, Ray Batra, he is doing something very similar with uh, his learning gyms. So right. he has campuses across America where they just use online materials right. and they have a community there and they have mentors there to help people through as they're going through their courses. So I think something like that could um, could almost replace colleges in the, in the near future. And so so I'll give an uh, example, right? Uh, I've hired people from boot camps. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I've also hired people from elite colleges, right? Uh, and 
I had to resist. I had to fight a few battles inside the organization to get that to happen. Right? Um, what happens is if I have come to Stanford and MIT, I want people around me to be uh, from more or less similar. Uh, they call it caliber, but they it's a metric, right? Mm. And when you take, when you start saying, "Hey, we are going to hire this person from Bootcamp who doesn't have a degree," and you get a little bit of pushback from them, right? So it's going to take time. But as always, you know, startups will exploit the opportunities first. and then the larger enterprises will start realizing okay they are missing out on talent and you know uh, uh. yeah and i was listening to a podcast with one of the executives at at skillshare and he said if we can change college from say something that's selective and hard to get into to something that is is hard to get through you say oh wow if someone got through this they they must have had their medal tested they must be good something like right, right. um 42 yeah. in France or in Silicon yeah. Silicon Valley where the experience is famously grueling so you know if someone's right. been through there they know their stuff but um onto a a slight change of tack if you put your investor hat on for a minute what do you think are the, are the main opportunities in the future of education for entrepreneurs who want to work in the space so i think we what is being underestimated is you know uh, the role of uh, tutors right so let's say if there are if there are 100 students maybe five of them are or 10 of them are self driven and self uh, you know they have sort of autodidactic kind of people mm-hmm. but the the major chunk of users are going to need structure uh, constant guidance uh, it's like keeping the uh, train on the track right yeah and the tools to enable tutors to be more effective i think that is any space that should be very interesting because that is independent of what ends up happening to schools right so yeah. what what i'm willing to stake a claim on is no matter what happens to schools tutors will have a key role to play in education right yeah uh, something else would be of course content pieces so now we are inundated with content so we have udacity and coursera and khan academy and edx and so content pieces are solved that's what i believe right yeah uh, what i would like to see is you know uh, one uh, better tools for thought which is what rome research and they are doing uh, knowledge management building my own personal journey right yeah uh, so that it, the tool really assist me hey you have a gap gap here and you uh, maybe you should explore this this area uh, and that will take some time to reach but you know uh, that is interesting and second would be uh, curation which is what learn awesome is you know sort of yeah. starting starting with eventually it wants to get into the personalized uh, learning path but that's a lot of work i'll 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 give an instance of a problem right creating a taxonomy of topics that alone is a hard problem and i'll give you a range the college curriculum is hierarchical so they'll have departments called there's a mathematics department there's a computer science department there's a humanities department right and what ends up happening is that hierarchy becomes too rigid so statistics becomes a branch of mathematics but machine learning which is applied statistics right becomes a branch of computer science yeah and you you lose the connection cross connections that are there so learn awesome actually started out as a hierarchy every topic could have a parent a parent topic and then we ran into this issue right where to put a book on ai ethics right uh, because it is humanities applied to engineering right uh, you can't yeah. really decouple so then we started exploring hey what are the research what are the research say and there are ideas ranging from very complex very granular like concept net uh, which people have suggested but nobody has really applied and there are simpler or more, more pragmatic ideas like uh, faceted classification right um, basically every topic in our system has can have two two parents right 
so it it lets you ask questions like hey tell me resources about you know uh, history of tuberculosis right what happened right yeah so oh, that's the approach but that's a pragmatic approach it's not a i mean uh, you can continue to think about this right is it conceptually really sound right it's also uh, like concept next sounds amazing because it is very flexible very generic but building that capability building that sort of taxonomy is sounds like a huge investment and uh, i don't think wiki wiki did wikipedia has done it i don't think anybody has done it not even google has done it right subjects is a very very hard topic so we'll first solve that part and then we'll solve the community aspect and once we have good understanding of the user that's when we will start going into recommendation hey this is what the system thinks you should do right yeah. so before that you you create your own journey you create your own uh, social graph your, your the, the people that you trust and you search your own tools we will give you the other tools that we have so for example right now lanasan has a browser extension right you can install it in in chrome and firefox and if you come across a video you can just click that and it will tell you hey these are the reviews on it right this is what people in lanasan are saying and if that link is not present you can just one click you can add it right okay yeah right uh, so a number of such tools will will continue to build we'll start with a, a utility content first approach but the goal is definitely uh, that sort of deep uh, assistance in learning yeah it's yeah, fascinating earlier you mentioned that you were able to become 50% productive in yeah. closure in a, a number of hours yeah. and are there any is there any other kind of low hanging fruit when it comes to learning that that can bring people say 80% of the results in, in So so what you what you should do is you should watch a video uh, by this YouTube channel called uh, Better Than Yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's the story of Polgar sisters. So you might know Judith Polgar, right? She's the world chess champion. Uh, oh yeah, uh, the women's chess champion, right? Her father was a educational psychologist, and he started out with a learning theory. He says that I don't think natural innate talent matters that much. Uh, every healthy child can become world class uh, with the right approach right and it's a fascinating video like you'll really like it right yeah. so what he did was he had this theory and this was crazy at that time people laughed at him because he realized he'll have to prove this on his own children so he wanted a partner that was you know uh, willing to you know uh, participate in that experiment so he found someone they had three daughters he deliberately picked chess as an activity right? because it is objectively measurable you can't really dispute what whether somebody is world class or not right if they are yeah. the, they are the champion they are the champion right and and he goes to that phase all three of his daughters ended up becoming you know grandmasters at like tremendous early age and the media again you know sort of responded with hey these are child prodigies and then he took very you know a lot of pains to point out so oh, these are not point child prodigies this was a step by step you know inch by inch progress that was made possible so when you talk about low hanging fruit right that is the the real uh, lost opportunity that i see a lot is possible i have my own daughter's example again there is no natural talent or uh, child prodiginess here uh, i was following a lot of mathematicians on uh, blogs uh, uh, and there was a mathematician professor at somebody who has a 6 year old son and he wrote a blog post saying how i introduced the idea of functions to my son right i i created a guessing game i created a black box and you know, i created a guessing game around it and we decided to try it like i decided to try it with my own daughter mm-hmm. and it really worked well right so uh, like it became so engaging so entertaining that she was hooked to it this and i know for a fact that you know she's an ordinary mathematics ability right 
she's there's no supernatural talent but she was doing algebra by the age of 5 right wow so and even now so right now we are going through khan academy sequences and all she is doing 8th grade 9th grade mathematics while she is 7 year old so she's essentially first grade student and this is completely available to everyone i'm 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 100% confident of this so that also is true for adults um, and that is what i would you know point out here the the low, low hanging fruit right it's immense right we don't know what we are capable of uh, yeah. or what uh, what our children or what our uh, you know society is capable of uh, tons of uh, low hanging fruits and what do you think is holding people back then is it the tyranny of low expectations or why don't people learn like that most of the time i think low expectations has a big role to play uh, children and people in general right they rise up to the expectations and the more we expect but uh, i would also say that i mean there could be other variables at play like we don't know uh, why these things are not widely circulated right jodit palgor's this story is like 50 year old right um at least 30 years old uh, so this idea has been there uh, but at some level you know people uh, uh, when you say that hey natural talent matters a lot and uh, i couldn't have become this uh, as successful it gives you an easy excuse also right so yeah. it's not low expectation from outsiders somewhere in the internally you know we also think that hey it's it i feel better and i feel more comfortable you know knowing that okay i couldn't have become michael jordan uh, yeah and, yeah uh, and of course you know there, there's a debate to be had there right i'm not saying natural talent does not matter at all uh, but uh, if we just learn from this research right what is possible i think there is a lot of scope uh, potential yeah for sure now i i can't come become uh, michael jordan because i'm 5 foot 8 but i can sure as hell come a lot better at, at basketball right and um, so if we maybe hop into a, a quick fire round what what do you think is one thing that you believe will happen in in education in the next 10 years that would seem totally crazy to most people yeah so i think formats will evolve a lot like people have sort of expected that okay these are the media formats that we see right there are videos there are podcast there are text article there are books right i think we will start seeing a number of increasing inter- inter- interactive formats uh, there are some signs so you should check out mathigon uh, it's an interactive textbook um, uh, philip legner from uk is building it Uh, and we'll see more and more of that right because an environment where i can take a concept where read about it or watch it and then immediately apply it and that feedback loop that it creates which is what brett victor has talked about right the feedback loops for programming in in, in particular but all uh, creation in general i think apps will win out this war of content like by far so yeah we'll we'll start seeing combinations of videos and text and uh, code and you know uh, games uh, into a something deliberately optimized for learning so that is one thing that i will start seeing so we'll kind of start seeing duolingo for x uh, across the yes. board yeah and yeah. um, no that's interesting and um, is there a particular book that changed you most or you credit with changing your life in some way i mean the story of polgar sister is actually i read the book also is it called raising genius right okay so that book now that book is not very helpful because he doesn't give a lot of detail on how we approached it but the mindset change i mean that video alone will will do that job right you don't really have to read that book uh, and i mean in learn also actually you can discover summaries of books very easily right you you mm-hmm. go to a book and you find you discover summaries that people have written 
So, but uh, one book that I would say uh, is you know helped me a lot in terms of what are the aims of education, and you know there are wide disagreements there itself. Right? There are the the governments will have different aims of education. Uh, the politicians will have different aims of education. Parents will have different aims, and the children will themselves will have different aims. And uh, my favorite analytical philosopher is Bertrand Russell, and I like him because you know he's very clear in thinking, and he's also very courageous. Right? He's able to is willing to take stances which are wildly uh, off normal, right? So mm -hmm. he says he comes out with this list uh, four four aims of education, right? One is uh, and he's talking about early childhood. So uh, vitality, intelligence, um, uh, courage, and sensitivity. He starts from first principles, right? And he says, okay, these are the four qualities that a good education, a good school should uh, uh, give impart to the children. And that book made a big impression on me. Because it really puts focus on the student, right? Mm. We are not creating schools that is convenient for the parents. We are not creating schools so that it creates better workers for the economy. We are not creating schools even to, let's say, better citizens for the society. Yeah. We need to put the student at the center. What is great? What is the best for him, right? And that focus was, I think, very important for me. I must check that out. That sounds fascinating. So, and final question, what, um, what advice would you give to the ambitious 19-year-old who thinks they want to do something big in the world, move the world forward, but uh, is not exactly sure what that might be? So advice I have, maybe, I, yeah, if I had to pick one, I would say, uh, make sure that you have the skills to make things. Right? Yeah. Uh, this is a very concrete skill. This is a very direct skill. It's not going to have a replacement. Uh, anytime soon, right? Uh, it could be designed, it, could, it doesn't have to be programming, but ability to make things uh, is going to be crucial. And the second thing I would add is uh, something is still that is still undervalued is uh, mathematics. Uh, I think uh, the deeper you go into any subject, you know, you just have mathematical ideas at the core and they end up connecting a bunch of things, right? So people are discovering, you know, uh, uh, mathematics and, you know, a variety of places. Like philosophy is now becoming analytical, right? Uh, artificial intelligence has better ideas than uh, philosophy itself because it goes um, in much more rigor and you know precision. So yeah, I would say mathematics is going to be crucial uh, and ability to make things. Yeah. That's as good a place as any to to wrap up. It's time to build, I suppose. Um, well, thanks so much uh, for coming on. It's been a pleasure and a very enlightening discussion. And I look forward to seeing what uh, Learn Awesome does in the future. Yeah, thank you so much, Will. Thanks. Thank you. Pleasure talking. Pleasure talking. Pleasure. To you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Signal podcast, a podcast for the inspired learners, educators, and entrepreneurs shaping the future of education. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and we'll be back next Sunday with another one. See you then.